0: going on MC nation here I am with a uh, Billy the Kid part three episode I got pressured by a lot of people to do this to divulge more information that I left out of uh, part two which is quite a bit of info I also had a couple questions from uh, the Facebook page uh, about this that I did want to clear up and answer for everybody in case other people were wondering I'm not gonna lie I'm more than happy to do this episode I was Kind of want to move on to the next one, which I have been researching, but I figured I would throw out some more information for all you guys and uh, and gals. So uh, first and foremost, let me get this out of the way. I would like to say I have a Google voicemail now. You just call this number, 260-440-7151. Like I said, that is a Google voicemail. You will not be able to reach me. It goes straight to voicemail. If you want to say something about the, about the podcast, maybe leave a review if you haven't been able to in the past, you can literally just leave me a voicemail message and I'll uh, play it on the show. So other than that, uh, what else is there? Uh, let me hit on the Patreon real quick here. I do have a couple of new Patreon supporters and I do got to uh, say thank you to them. I would like to say thank you to Heidi, Megan, and Pam. Thank you very much for donating to the podcast. Um, as everybody knows, uh, $1 gets pretty much everything, I mean, which is a free episode. I don't do stickers or buttons or anything like that. The only difference between the $1 and throughout uh, to the $20, uh, if you donate $20 a month, uh, you get a promo code from me. And you can go into the merch shop, get a beer mug, get a fucking shirt. I mean, pretty much whatever you want. It'll be 20 bucks worth of stuff. So that's the only, uh, that's the only real tier I got, so I would like to thank those individuals. Thank you very much. And uh Heidi uh did select the very next Patreon episode, because that's what I'm doing. Pat- uh, all the patrons will be the ones selecting those episodes. So she picked, uh she gave me a few really, really good suggestions, which I will do all of them. Um, I asked her which one she wanted first, and that will be the next episode. Obviously, I'm not going to tell you. Yeah, so I guess... I'm going to touch on the uh, Facebook page really, really quick and uh, answer a couple questions from there. Uh, (laughs) I love it. I I got such great reception with these episodes. Everybody's like, team brushy, team brushy. But I'm just going to tell you right now in this episode, I'm really going to fuck your guys' world up. Because uh, if you remember at the end of part one, there's another person that I did research as being Billy the Kid. That I did not bring up and I'm glad some of you out there remembered that and called me out on it. So one of the questions was from Tammy. Uh She asked, uh well first she said absolutely love this podcast and especially the latest two on Billy the Kid. One thing I was wondering, did Brushy Bill know Spanish? I've heard and read that Billy the Kid was fluent in Spanish. Have you heard anything? Um, yes, Tammy, uh, I did respond to this on the, uh, uh, Facebook page, but just so everybody else who was wondering, Billy the Kid was ex- was fluent in Spanish and spoke in Spanish, as was Brushy Bill Roberts. The three people that signed affidavits, which there was a total of five that did attest to the fact that Brushy Bill was Billy the Kid, three of them signed a sworn affidavits to this, They all said that Brushy Bill did speak fluent Spanish, and it is in their affidavits. Now, where the rumor comes from that Brushy Bill could not speak Spanish comes directly from Jarvis Garrett, one of the sons of Pat Garrett. Now, how this went down was when they were at the governor's mansion and they were pretty much drilling Brushy Bill left and right for info and all that good stuff. Everybody met with him separately. The only person... Who said that they asked him a question in Spanish and he could not respond was Jarvis Garrett. That is pretty damn telling. It's, uh, it's from all the other people that knew Brushy Bill. That would be, uh, William Morrison as well, um, said that he did speak it fluently. William Morrison knows about this because when they were, uh, on the road together in, uh, 49, 1949, they went to track down Severos Gallegos, which is one of Billy the Kid's surviving friends that was still alive. Um They went to track him down. They went to his place. He was not there. There was a neighbor there. William Morrison attested to the fact... That when Severos was not there, Brushy Bill Roberts spoke to the neighbor in fluent Spanish, and that goes along with all the other witnesses, with the exception of Jarvis Garrett. Now, I will say this. um, The Garrett family has been very, very adamant on the fact that uh Brushy Bill is not Billy the Kid. I have a very strong opinion on the Garrett family in regards to Billy the Kid's pardon and the fact that Brushy Bill is not him. I'm not going to be an asshole about it, but I will say this, literally, you know, you shouldn't try so hard to hold on to your family's namesake, alright? You should try to have more of a non-biased opinion because, as it so happens, Pat Garrett's own daughter said that he didn't fucking kill Billy the Kid, so, you know, that's whatever. I do believe that Billy the Kid deserved that pardon. It was promised to him by Lou Wallace. Um, the only reason at this point that he has not gotten that pardon, um, is because of the Garrett family. They are very outspoken about the fact that the, pro- the pardon was promised to people who did not have a prior indictment. Which Billy the Kid knew that he had a prior indictment, as did Lou Wallace, as did everybody else. But the thing about it was, is when he agreed to testify against all these people, uh, you know, regarding the uh, Lincoln County War, that is after the fact, he was promised his pardon after he testified. He did testify, Lou Wallace did not fulfill his promise. And the thing about it is that really pisses me off as well. Is that uh, the Garrett family has nothing to do with this fucking pardon. So that has nothing to do with Pat Garrett. That was, you know, before Pat Garrett was even a fucking name. You know, it is what it is. So personally, I mean, you guys can take that as you will. Not trying to be an asshole, but in all actuality, they really have no fucking say in the matter. And I wish they would just keep quiet about it. Another thing that, uh, some people, you know, were debating about that I, that I caught wind of was the fact that Brushy Bill's friends or Billy the Kid's friends were 90, 91 years old. Maybe their memory wasn't the best. Here's my personal opinion on that. You know, age can do a lot of things. All right. But when you know somebody on a personal level and you did good and bad things with these people, You know, some of those memories don't go away. And I really don't think that people give enough credit to the surviving friends of Billy the Kid for their uh, testimonies. And the reason why is because you pretty much got away whether or not the surviving friends in their older age are more accurate, I suppose you could say. I know that's not the best word, but are more accurate than the people who didn't personally know Billy the Kid. You got it you got to weigh that too. Like all these people who say Brushy Bill was not Billy the Kid did not even know him personally. These are kids of Pat Garrett who briefly knew Billy the Kid and the only reason anybody even knows his fucking name is because he shot him down in cold blood. And uh, one of them is the grandchild of Sheriff Brady, who never even knew Billy the Kid, uh, who was a crooked cop. You can take that as you will. So personally, for me, if I'm going to put stock in anything, it's going to be the, the people that are old enough to actually remember people who were said to have known the real Billy the Kid. Not a bunch of kids and grandkids with secondhand information. Another question that did get brought up was... His name, this one also came from the Facebook page, and it was by uh, uh, George. Uh, He says, uh, very believable. My only issue is Pat Garrett kills the wrong man and claims it's the kid. Billy sees a chance to disappear and have a fresh start. Why would he keep the name Bill? Wouldn't he go by something else? And that is a very, very good question. Uh, What it comes down to is after Billy the Kid or Brushy Bill supposedly went to Mexico and came back after everything cooled down he did not initially pick up the name William Henry Roberts he had initially picked up the name Oliver P. Roberts and then of course there is a lot of confusion between Oliver P. and Oliver L. Roberts which both of those people are in that family tree there's still a lot of debate about that as well but he didn't adopt uh, William Henry Roberts as an alias until a little, a little bit later on. So, you know, that should be, that should be said right there. Um, I do appreciate the questions. And now I suppose we can move forward with a little bit more information. And we're going to go ahead and start with uh, the evidence that supports Brushy Bill was Billy the Kid. And like I had kind of touched on a little bit in part two, Brushy Bill Roberts had extensive knowledge of the Lincoln County War. This is shit that he could not have read about. These are details that very, very few researchers knew, and that includes historians. I mean, if he was not Billy the Kid, he definitely had some kind of inside information. He had to have been certain places with him or even knew him for that matter. Um, it's really hard to deny when somebody does have details of shit that are not common knowledge. You know, there has to, you have to give credit for some of that right there. Uh, another thing that Brushy Bill knew about was a lot of, uh, Billy the Kid's court cases, which was definitely not common knowledge. Again, very, very few people knew this stuff. Um, he went on to say that his first indictment was for the murder of Buckshot Roberts, uh, which was very true. He was represented by lawyer Ira Leonard and that that case had gotten thrown out on a technicality, which is very true. The thing about that is not very many people even knew the name of Billy the Kid's lawyer, let alone the fact that... That the case got thrown out. It was for Buckshot Roberts, and he actually went on to say how he paid for Ira Leonard, uh, paid you know the attorney fees and stuff like that, which nobody really even knew as well. So he had this inside information that is undeniable. Um, another thing that he did have knowledge on was which cases were. County cases, which cases were state cases, and which cases were federal cases. He knew the differences between all of these. And again, that was not common knowledge. This is not something that you he could have just looked up at the time in his life. A lot of this information did not come out until after Rushy Bill Roberts had died. So we do have to have to say that. Alright, let's hit on a little bit of evidence against Brushy Bill Roberts, Um, one of which being I did mention in part two, Pat Garrett, along with Deputy John Poe, Deputy Thomas McKinney, and the vast majority of people who claim to have seen the body of Billy the Kid when he was shot. You know, granted, there are supposedly a lot of witnesses that did see the body. However, not many of these witnesses willingly came forward. So it is literally... Almost just these three lawmen who were the ones who said that it was Billy the Kid. Now, if you remember in part two, I broke down a lot of details about a lot of weird shit that does not add up about the events surrounding that night. Uh, One of those being the fact that, uh, you know, there is no evidence to suggest that there ever was a Billy Barlow, which is who Brushy Bill claimed was actually shot. And put in the place of Billy the kid in that grave. Now, like I had stated, you know, previously in part two, the thing about that is there's so many fucking aliases, guys. I mean, if you listen to anything about part one and part two, everybody had aliases. So it's definitely believable that, yeah, there probably wasn't a record of a Billy Barlow. It was probably an alias for some other name that this guy probably had. So I'm a little bit kind of iffy on that one right there. I really don't think that is any kind of evidence against Billy the Kid. Another one would be the only person on this earth that admits or says anything about a shootout after the initial supposed killing of Billy the Kid is Brushy Bill Roberts. There is no evidence or any other witnesses that said that there was a shootout that followed that. Brushy Bill is literally the only one. Um, Another thing is that Brushy Bill says that he was shot a couple times in that shootout. One of these shots he took to the jaw. Um, Now, as we know, that is a very serious injury. And pictures after Brushy Bill supposedly lived on after... You know, the whole night at Fort Sumner, you can see his face. There are no scars anywhere on his face that would suggest he took a bullet to the jaw. That one is a pretty damning, damning one right there. Another little piece of evidence against Brushy Bill, which I really don't put too much stock in this, but it is considered it. A guy named Thomas Kyle in 1988, who was he was, a, he was a, a physicist and an amateur photo expert. All right, now just wait; it gets better. He's an he's a physicist and an an amateur photo expert, and pretty much he did a photo comparison uh, between the ten type of Billy, which is the famous one where he's standing there with his rifle, uh, and the photo of Brushy. Now he used the photo of Brushy that was taken during his meeting with Governor Mabry. So I mean, there's a seventy year age difference there. He did use his own methods. Thomas Kyle used his own methods on his home Apple Macintosh 2 computer, and he announced that, in his opinion, the two photos were of two different people. You know, as much as I respect Apple Macintosh 2 technology, I'm literally sitting here shaking my head because I really don't put too much stock in that. I would rather see results nowadays with the technology that we do have nowadays and i would rather have a full-blown expert and not an amateur photo expert um nothing against thomas kyle though but i'm just gonna say that another thing that everybody keeps bringing up is the fact that brushy bill was a well-known associate of j frank dalton which was a proven false claimant to be jesse james now uh you know, that's not really evidence. That really doesn't mean shit to me, but it is one of those things that people use to discredit Brushy Bill. And I honestly don't know why. While we're on evidence against Brushy Bill, I am going to touch on some false evidence against Brushy Bill. Shit that people say is evidence that does not support. Uh, The fact that he is Billy the Kid, that is proven false. That you will hear a lot out there if you uh, decide to do your own research. One of the big ones is that Rushy Bill was illiterate. Rushy Bill was very literate. He uh, had several diaries when William Morrison met him. They exchanged several letters together. Brushy Bill also was getting ready to write his uh, autobiography because, if you remember, Brushy Bill himself had a very, very extraordinary life all on his own. and And the life is fucking documented. There is plenty of evidence to back up that he's not lying about some of these things he did in his younger years. Now, where the the illiterate thing comes from is an author named uh, C.L. Sonishin when he he wrote a book about uh, Brushy Bill. And he says, and I quote, not a literate man. Now, Sonishin later recanted this and said he wished he would never have wrote that because he didn't actually mean that Brushy Bill was illiterate. He just pretty much meant that uh he wasn't the type of person who would sit all day, you know, reading history books and shit like that. What Sanashin went on to say is that he really meant to say that he was not a literary man, not that he was illiterate. So that's where a lot of that rumor comes from. And to back that up, there were affidavits of friends of brushies. Uh, By the name of Bob Young, Alton Thornton, W.F. Hafer, Jimmy Ramage, Ablo Norman, Tom Turner, and L.L. Gamble. Those were all friends of Brushy, and they said that he was very well literate and that he could read and write just fine. So that is a little false piece of evidence against Brushy Bill. Touching more on the Spanish thing. Not only did, uh, those people that I just mentioned that attested to Brushy Bill being literate, those people also attested to the fact that Brushy Bill was very fluent in Spanish. So there you have literally about a dozen fucking people that say Brushy Bill was very fluent in Spanish, along with, uh, Severo's neighbor, Severo Gallegos's neighbor, whose name was Josephine Sanchez. Literally, the only person that says he was not was a myth started by Jarvis Garrett. I mean, you'll hear a couple versions that say it was Oscar Garrett and Arcadio Brady who started that myth, but it is completely false. That is total myth. Now, another piece of false evidence that is used against Brushy Bill Roberts was that Brushy was left-handed and the kid was right-handed. Uh, when it comes down to it, Billy the Kid was ambidextrous. Not that many people know that. There's some uh, knowledge for you. It uh, all his friends back in the day. Uh, it is documented. You know, after people found uh, new evidence that he was very good with pistols with both his hands. He could shoot a rifle, going both sides. And as it so happens, the people that knew Brushy Bill Roberts were also said to uh, confirm that Brushy Bill was also ambidextrous. So that is another piece of false information out there. Billy the Kid and Brushy Bill could shoot and write with both hands very well. So that is a pretty cool little fact right there. So on that, you know, there are still a lot of unanswered questions out there. You know, if Brushy was not really Billy, Billy the Kid... Why would he come forward and claim that he was? You know, he didn't want to achieve fame because... He literally, him and Morrison, were very insistent upon Governor Mabry not saying anything to the public about Brushy Bill coming forward. You know, that would not make sense. Billy the Kid had a fucking death sentence still hanging over his head, whether it was 70 fucking years or not. Murder charges do not get fucking dropped. So, by him coming forward as a false person or a fake... That's literally, if he gets proven to not be Billy the Kid, that is a fucking immediate death sentence for him. You should take that into account when you when you do weigh your options on either one hand or the other. Another really weird question is, uh, if Brushy was not Billy the Kid, why did he not go along with the traditional origin of Billy the Kid, saying that he was born on November 23rd, 1859 in New York that his real name was Henry McCarty and his mother was Catherine McCarty. Obviously, he knew the traditional history. Why didn't he just go along with that? Why did he make up this huge, extravagant story about being from Texas and getting taken in by his maternal aunt, Catherine McCarty? You know, that is one question that kind of I can kind of go both ways on. You need to also take that into account as well. Another little weird thing is, uh you know, Oliver P. Roberts compared to Oliver L. Roberts. Now, although many Roberts relatives state that Brushy and Oliver were two different people, there is at least one who says they were in fact the same. This relative is Geneva Pittman, who claims that Brushy was really named Oliver Pleasant Roberts and that he was born on August twenty sixth, 1879 in eastern Texas. Through some of the census records, it is really, really easy to track the life of Oliver P. Roberts. So, was Brushy Bill really Oliver P. Roberts or Oliver L. Roberts? That is one of the big lingering questions. Another one is, when exactly did Brushy step into the life of Oliver and begin using his name? There are census reports that can confirm the life of an Oliver Roberts, but in between these reports, it is suspected that the real Oliver Roberts died, and that's when Billy the Kid kind of took over his name, took over his life. That right there is a whole jumbled mess of confusion, all right? I'm not even going to lie to you. It is uh, extremely confusing even to read. The one thing about Oliver P. Roberts is is that the census records for Oliver P. Roberts show that he never really did venture far from eastern Texas for any kind of prolonged period of time. Why that's important is because Oliver Roberts, Brushy Bill Roberts, Billy the Kid, if they are all the same person, literally Brushy Bill Roberts has lived a crazy life. He was in Cuba with the Rough Riders, with Teddy Roosevelt, Buffalo Bill Cody's Wild West show. He did his own Wild West show. And all of these are backed up by official documentation, some of the objects that Brushy did have in his possession, and is also confirmed by personal accounts of others who were there with him, that shared experience, along with photographs to back this up. So that's another kind of weird little lingering question right there. You know, I really can't you know, give too much of an opinion on that because that would be a whole other set of research in itself. So, I mean, I guess that kind of wraps up a a little bit about some of the unanswered questions uh, regarding the identity of Brushy Bill being Billy the Kid or not. I kind of hope that uh, helped you guys out a little bit in making your decision. Uh, I will also Tell you some books here uh, for research purposes if you do decide to look into this yourself. Some of these are out of print and extremely expensive though, so I will tell you that right now. But uh one would be Alias Billy the Kid by C. L. Sonichin and William V. Morrison, which was published in nineteen fifty five. The other one is Billy the Kid and Me Were the Same by Dr. William A. Tunstall, nineteen eighty eight. Another one is The Trial of Billy the Kid by Judge Bobby E. Hefner, 1990. Billy the Kid, Killed in New Mexico, Died in Texas. Written by Dr. Janae Valdez and Judge Bobby E. Hefner, 1995. The Return of the Outlaw Billy the Kid by W.C. Jameson and Frederick Bean, 1998 and The Real Billy the Kid, a.k.a. Brushy Bill Roberts, written by Brett L. Hall, 2004. So those are some uh, some books. There are quite a bit of other books out there. I will say this, though. You will not find one solid book written by an unbiased author. All these books are written either for or against the fact that Brushy was Billy the Kid, Um, You will not find any kind of unbiased publication on this topic, so happy hunting with that. But, the real reason that I wanted to put out a part three is because there's a man who never came forward and claimed that he was Billy the Kid. I'm going to tell you a little story and you just sit tight. Let your mind work, because this is really, really interesting. So there's this guy named John Miller. Now John Miller himself was never a Billy the Kid claimant. He never claimed to be Billy the Kid. But friends of John Miller's all came forward and went ahead and made that claim for him. And here's why. John Miller comes on historical record on August 8th. 1881. Now this is three weeks after the supposed death of Billy the Kid. Now what makes this interesting is because John Miller, you will not find anything about him before August 8th, 1881. It's like he just appeared out of nowhere. If that wasn't interesting enough, when he does show up on August 8th, the only reason that he is an historical record is because he marries a Mexican girl named Isadora. They get married in Las Vegas, New Mexico territory. Uh, supposedly, it was a pretty quick little wedding. Now, during the ceremony, Miller was wearing a pistol on his hip, and he appeared very weak physically. He also had a fresh bullet wound uh, that was very Easy to see through a shirt, supposedly. Now, shortly after they were wed, Miller and his new bride... Now, shortly after they were wed, Miller and his wife uh, left Las Vegas, and they were heading west, okay? While they're heading west, Isadora is riding along uh, in the fully loaded wagon that they did have. Miller is riding in front on a horse, and he has a herd of about seven head of cattle. Now, they would only travel at night. And they would sleep during the day. Now, they eventually got to Albuquerque, New Mexico territory. And uh, from there, they continued on west. And they ended up stopping in El Moro. Now, uh, they stayed there a few days until they uh, headed out to a place called Reserve, which was a small mining town. Now, they ended up staying in Reserve until Miller did recover fully from his chest wound. When he ended up feeling a little bit better to travel, the new husband and wife went around a place called Quemado. It is at this point, Miller does get a job as a cook on a cattle company, uh, which is known as Nation's Ranch. Now, Miller was involved in a gunfight with a Mexican ranch hand while he was there. Now, Miller and the ranch hand, neither one of them were wounded in the incident, but Miller did lose his job because of it, so him and Isid- Isadora did flee that area, and they ended up going back to El Moro. From there, they went on to the Zuni Mountains, and this is in uh, about the north- north-central-type north New Mexico territory area. Now, while they were traveling along the way, they meet some cattlemen and a rancher named Jesus Ariaco, or Ariacho, not 100% sure how to pronounce the last name, he ended up hiring Miller uh, to look after a section of uh, a herd on his property for the next five years. Now, what the deal was was when the five years were over, Ariaco or Ariacho promised Miller that he could have half of the new cattle which that would be born over this five year span. While they are working for uh, Ariacho, John Miller and his wife live in in caves and abandoned cabins, and they really didn't talk to anybody. They kept pretty much to themselves. Now, after that five years was up, uh, Jesus Ariacho fulfilled his promise, and he ended up giving him half of this cattle. So, Miller uh, built a house and a ranch uh, right there south of Ramah and near uh, Ojo Pescado, which is uh, a place that would later be renamed uh, Miller's Canyon. They pretty much live here for a long time uh, over the next several years. Miller pretty much makes a name for himself as a very talented horseman. Uh, he ends up becoming a very prominent rancher. He's just living there really quietly. Uh, they make uh, him and his wife make some friends in the Rama uh, Zuni community, and they are pretty much well liked. Now, they even went as far as saying that uh, they were pretty much like good Samaritans of the area. They had a really big reputation for housing and feeding some of the travelers that were passing through, and they were always helping out their neighbors and stuff like that. Uh, when they were down on their luck, they were always happy to help people. Now, it is stated by all the people who knew Miller, the way he held himself They said was a little weird because they said he kind of carried himself like he was a fugitive from the law. They said he never went anywhere without that pistol on his side. And he always had a rifle ready at the door of his house. All of his friends and all the people in the community also said this John Miller would always put on like little displays with his pistols. And, uh, you know, he would give like little shows to the townspeople and to the kids and stuff like that. And he uh, would often teach a lot of these tricks to some of his younger friends and some of the little kids around in the area and stuff like that. Here's where it gets interesting. Like a lot of his friends later reported that Miller really, really enjoyed telling stories of Billy the Kid and of the Lincoln County War. Now, believe it or not, John Miller displayed numerous bullet scars on his body in some of the same places as Billy the Kid. Now, some of his friends, you know, started kind of connecting the dots and started suspecting that possibly he was Billy the Kid. But John Miller would never really say that he was. There there it is reported that there were a few rare occasions when he trusted like a few of his friends, he would say that he was the kid. But it was usually only when he was drunk. And he would like blurt out that he was Billy the Kid. And then as soon as he would sober up, he would renege on it and and claim that, oh, he's like, no, I was just messing with you guys. I was just lying. Now, another cool little fact is that his wife, Isadora, only spoke Spanish. Now, Isadora was actually the one who was very open about admitting that Miller was Billy the Kid. Um, she had no qualms about it, whether or not John uh, Miller knew about it or not, but she she was one of the very vocal ones about admitting that. Now, it is stated that by a lot of his friends and uh, people who knew him that the Millers kept a large trunk with them, and it was supposedly like some of their most important possessions or something like that, and it was always locked. Now, all of them... You know, trying to connect the dots and listen to what, you know, Isadora said, you know, they they started to believe that the trunk actually had some artifacts from John Miller's life as Billy the Kid. Now, obviously, this is unconfirmed. Now, even though John Miller's neighbors did believe that he was Billy the Kid, none of them apparently thought much of it. They never thought any less of John Miller as a person because he was such a good guy. He was, they said his personality was just, just a nice guy. He literally got along with everybody. Which, believe it or not, is if you remember in part one, Billy the Kid had that same type of personality. In the late 1890s, early 1900s, John Miller and uh, Isadora adopted a two year old Navajo boy. Um, who was given away by his mother. The The Millers could not have kids, apparently. Now, they named this child Maxwell. So, little Max Miller was raised as their own. So, little Max was raised as their own son. Right around this time, uh, the Ramazuni area started getting uh, plagued by horse thieves and cattle rustlers. Now, it's really weird because Miller found himself acting as like a middleman kind of between you know the ranchers that were his neighbors and the outlaws miller was friendly with the rustlers now he would feed them and shelter them and he would bargain with them to return some of the neighbors animals that they had stolen and they would it's it's really odd how how that stuff started happening and this is this is documented okay Some of, you know, his neighbors and some of his friends believe that his connection with these outlaws was from his life as Billy the Kid. Another weird little fact is that uh, one of his friends, a very, very close friend of John Miller, said that in 1902, Miller traveled to Montana with six other outlaws where they robbed a bank of $8,000. And Miller would use this money to support himself when times started getting hard and to keep himself afloat and stuff like that on the ranch. By 1918, uh, the Millers kind of hit a really rough patch. There was a really bad drought, and it it pretty much killed their ranch. They didn't have much. Uh, Isadora started losing her eyesight. And uh, she had a, a hand that was pretty much useless. She had it caught in a gopher trap, apparently. She couldn't really use it very well. Miller himself started suffering from what they call rheumatism, which is pretty much a disease of, like, inflammation, pain in the joints, muscles. And it can be loosely related to, you know, rheumatoid arthritis of and stuff like that. Uh, young Max Miller actually went on and enlisted in the U.S. Army, and he went and fought in World War I, and he ended up being uh, missing in action in Germany. John Miller and Isadora Miller, they decided to move on because they really didn't think that their son was alive. So they pretty much gathered all their shit, left the ranch, and they went to Arizona. Now, when they get to Arizona, they settled in a little place called San Simon, uh, which is right on the border of Mexico. About as soon as they got there, a little bit afterward, Max uh, ended up showing up. Uh, he did not die in World War I. Uh, he ended up being discharged for his service. That was definitely a little upturn of luck for the Millers right there. They decide to go to this little town called Buckeye to help with John Miller's rheumatism because of uh, they heard there was like a mineral springs there in the town. So, John Miller and his wife moved there in 1920. Now, Miller soon got a job as a horse trainer when he got there on a ranch, uh, and then he saved up a bunch of money, and he uh, built another ranch of his own uh, right outside of a town called Liberty, which is not far outside of Buckeye. Just like he did in the Ramazuni area, Miller was quite a popular guy. All his neighbors really, really uh, liked him. But all of those neighbors also started picking up on some of the things that, uh, you know, John Miller could do. You know, some of the people that he knew, part of the life he lived, some of the wounds that he had, some of the stories that he told. And they started to believe that he was Billy the Kid as well. Now, part of this is because uh, John Miller back in, uh, you know, about this time, they started having radio programs. And all of his friends and neighbors would say that John would sit around and listen to programs about Billy the Kid. And when they would get something wrong... Or historically inaccurate for that matter. Uh, they said John Miller would get super fucking pissed. He would start ranting and raving at the radio and shit. And they thought that was really odd. So um, we move forward to about the 1920s, early 1930s. John Miller's house catches on fire with Isadora inside. John Miller and his friends did manage to pull her out of the building Before, it was uh, burned down, but she was already dead from smoke inhalation. Now, after she died, Miller's health declined very quickly, and that was his physical and mental health. Um, He fell off a roof that he was repairing at about that time, and his son, Max... Uh, decided to take him to a retirement home now on march 12 1937 john miller was admitted to the pioneer home in prescott arizona now throughout the next few months miller made repeated attempts to get a friend of his or his son to visit him so that he could finally quote unquote set the record straight now it really really sucks because all of his friends and his son were too busy to reach him in time, and he ended up dying on November 7th, 1937. He ended up being buried in the Pioneer Home Cemetery, and there is a memorial plaque there still bearing his name. After he died, the trunk that he and Isadora owned wound up as property of the Courts of Phoenix. A court representative took that trunk to Ramah Zuni area, and he was looking for John Miller's heir, Now, while interviewing a lot of Miller's old friends, the representative reportedly had told all of them that the contents of the trunk proved that John Miller was Billy the Kid. But you want to know what happened to that trunk? It disappeared. Nobody knows where it is. They could not locate Max Miller, so this trunk literally vanished off the face of the earth. Let's get into a little bit of evidence to support John Miller as Billy the Kid. Alright, so John Miller's physical appearance matches Billy the Kid just to the crazy amount. He had the same sloping shoulders, he had buck teeth, he had the same outturned thumbs, he had the one heavy brow, which is the uh, asymmetrical eyebrows that I did mention in part 2 which was one of the things about Brushy Bill, and it is an eyebrow that does not follow the orbital socket. He had the the small hands, he had the really big ears, he had the same blue eyes, and he had the same matching bullet wounds that Billy the Kid also had. Now, he did also have a lot of the same characteristics as Billy the Kid. He was very fluent in Spanish. He was ambidextrous with pistols and rifles, and he also could literally make friends with just about anybody, which was a trait of Billy the Kid as well. Now, he did have a, a quick temper, a great sense of humor, and he was very generous. And these were also said traits of Billy the Kid. A lot of his friends, like I said, Miller never came publicly out and said this. He only entrusted this to a few friends while he was drunk. These, This is all second-hand information, all right? So you do have to take that into account. But when you have several people that are saying secondhand the same thing from different places that this guy lived, you gotta fucking take that into account as well. He knew a lot about the life of Billy the Kid and knew very detailed information about the Lincoln County War as well. Another cool little thing was that, uh, John Miller always carried himself like he was on guard, like he was waiting for something or somebody. He carried himself like he was a fugitive from the law. He would never talk about his past openly, which kind of suggests that maybe he, you know, was ashamed of it or trying to hide something. We don't know. Another thing, according to his friends, John Miller was an honest and trustworthy person. He uh, would never lie to anybody. Uh, he was always extremely, extremely honest guy. To take that into account, when he told those few individuals when he was drunk that he was Billy the Kid, those people believed him because he was such an honest person. They would, didn't even question it, but he only did these when he when he was really, really drunk, and then as soon as he sobered up, he would renege to and be like, no, no, I'm not him. Now, another thing is that John Miller did have close relationships with cattle and horse thieves from the area. And, they, you know, this is suggested that this could have came from his life as Billy the Kid. And like I mentioned, there is no historical record of John Miller ever being alive before August 8th, 1881 on his wedding day. Pretty interesting, right? Now, some of the evidence against John Miller being Billy the Kid. John Miller never himself came forward publicly or officially and said that he was Billy the Kid. All of this information is secondhand information, and, you know, that does offer a lot of speculation, but this secondhand information is from several people over a long span of time, all from several places that kind of picked up on these traits. And then there were a select few that John Miller did entrust in times of inebriation when he was drunk. And, uh, like I said, he had quickly reneged afterward. Um, in a 1900 census report, Miller did state that he was born in 1857. In a 1910 report, he claimed that he was born in 1852. Now, on the plaque in the uh, cemetery where John Miller is buried, his birthday is listed as 1850. All three of these would make him older than Billy the Kid. Obviously, pretty good possibility that Miller did lie about his age to, you know, throw off anybody that might have been looking for him. Now, he probably wouldn't have made himself older, though, because uh, Billy the Kid looked very, very young for his age. Even though he died at 21, he did not even look like he was 21. He looked like he was 17 or 18 years old. Miller himself did tell friends that he only knew Billy the kid said he worked as a ranch hand for the Chisholm brothers. And that's how he knew a lot of detailed information. But in all honesty, think about that for a second. You know, if you're not wanting to come forward and fully admit that you are Billy the kid, what's the next best excuse that you could use for knowing all this shit? You would say that you knew him, you know what I'm saying? So that, You know, I'm kind of iffy on on that being evidence against him as Billy the Kid. Another one, which is, you know, a little weird one. Miller owned a 45 pistol with an extra-long barrel. He said that he did use this pistol as Billy the Kid when he did confide in his friends, but Billy the Kid was known to use 44s with normal-sized barrels or smaller 41s. And uh, Miller's pistol, believe it or not, had several notches on it, which he claimed were for the men he killed. Billy the Kid never had any notches on his pistols, I'm not really sure of any historical record of any other fucking gunfighter or outlaw that actually did put notches on their pistol. There are some things that you have to take into consideration. This is neither evidence for or against John Miller being Billy the Kid, but it is more information. John Miller, when he did confide in his friends, he told different versions of the events of July 14th, 1881 to different friends. One version was that he was shot in the chest a week before July 14th and that Isadora was nursing him back to health when Garrett accidentally killed a Mexican sheep herder in the Maxwell home. Now, believe it or not, you know that kind of makes sense to some of the other reports that we did here um but another version that he said was that uh he was shot by pat garrett in the maxwell house and he played dead while uh garrett pretty much inspected him over real quick and then when he was carried away by his mexican f- friends uh, while he was being prepared for burial, he showed signs of life. He was quickly taken away by Isadora, kind of nursed back to health for the most part. Now, um, pretty much what he says is a Mexican that died earlier that day was placed in the casket that was supposed to be for Billy and he was buried. You know, that's that's another one of the version of events that he tells, which, you know, those kind of makes sense with some of the other reports that we did hear about in part two and in this one another thing is um you know if Miller was the kid how did he get the wagon and the small little herd of cattle um that him and Isadora did take to Las Vegas on August 8th 1881 do you know that can be here or there he could have that he was worshipped by the people of Fort Sumner. He was a fucking hero. It is definitely not out of the realm of possibilities to believe that they did help him out, you know, get him started in the right direction to get away. Another question that comes up a lot is Isadora's real identity. She did claim that she lived at Fort Sumner when John Miller, who was Billy the Kid, um, was supposedly killed by Pat Garrett. But there's no record that ever shows her living in Fort Sumner in 1881. A cool little side fact to this is there's is a theory that she was actually Manuela Baudry, the widow of Charlie Baudry, which is not a bad theory at all. So it kind of sucks because it's not really a bad theory at all. There is evidence out there to suggest that Manuela Baudry did marry someone else after charlie's death one thing that you do have to take into account is if miller wasn't billy the kid why did isadora go along with the story that he was that that one is is a huge one for me because even though john miller at most of times would not admit that he was billy the kid isadora did tell people that he was billy the kid so i mean it's That's a pretty interesting little fact right there. You know, another one is the trunk. What happened to the trunk? What were the contents of it? Now, after whoever took over the possessions of the Millers after John Miller did die, when he goes around looking for an heir to, you know, whatever property John Miller did have, which was this trunk, and he literally is reported as telling people, you know, certain people, He literally is reported to be telling people that the contents of this trunk proved, beyond a doubt, that John Miller was Billy the Kid. But this trunk has never been located, and there are eyewitnesses to this trunk. It is in court documents, being as how it was part of the estate after he died, so I'm really curious to know whatever happened to this thing. You know, lastly, like I said, you've really got to take into consideration who was John Miller before August 8th, 1881. I mean, he showed up on his wedding physically weak from a bullet wound that you could visibly see through his shirt. The physical appearance, some of the stories, the things that the people around him picked up on about his personality and characteristics. I think that's a real big one for me personally, because like I said, this spanned over, you know, 20 or 30 years, several different towns, several different people, several different close friends. They all, they all come to agreement and pretty much say the same thing. Now, I think that's pretty interesting right there. You know, that's pretty much all the extra amount of information that I got for you. Please take the time, go do your own research if you want. I just figured you guys would uh, like to be updated on some of the shit that I left out. I'm glad you guys caught on to the fact that at the end of part one, I did mention that there was somebody else that I had been researching as uh, being possibly Billy the Kid. Personally, if it were me, and judging by the circumstances, the eyewitness accounts, the friends, the personality, all that shit added up, I honestly think that John Miller has a better chance of being Billy the Kid than Brushy Bill does. Now, I do think some things are definitely interesting about Brushy Bill, but this John Miller character is somebody to definitely look into. Now, we do know where John Miller is buried, and why they don't do a DNA test on him, I don't know. I think that would be very, very telling right there. But anywho... I hope you guys enjoyed your part three little bonus uh, Billy the Kid episode. And I suppose I'll uh, see you on the flip side.